Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. On today's episode, we're going to listen in on a recent interview between Scott Becker, founder and publisher of Becker's Healthcare, and Mohan Giradirdas, the chief executive officer of Lean Toss, where they discuss artificial intelligence and the healthcare workforce. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Let's go ahead and get started. This is Scott Becker, the publisher of Becker's Healthcare. We're joined by the chief executive officer of Lean Toss uh, to, to have a session to discuss making AI work for the workforce, empowering staff and systems to thrive. We're joined by Mohan Giradiradas, a brilliant, brilliant leader. Uh, Mohan, I'm going to ask you for to, to take a session. We're going to talk today about making AI work for the workforce. Uh, so much has been discussed about AI. Before we get started, I'm going to ask you to take a moment to uh, to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, Lean Toss, and your background. Terrific. Thanks, Scott. It's terrific to be here. I'm Mohan Giridardas. I'm the founder and CEO of Lean Toss. Lean Toss is focused on AI, mathematics, data science, and software to unlock capacity in health systems. We currently work with about 180 health systems in the U.S., about 800 hospitals, across the country use one or more of our products. We unlock capacity in three specific areas. Infusion centers, where we power uh, 12,000 chairs, roughly 30% of the infusion capacity in the US. IQ for operating rooms unlocks capacity in ORs. We power about 5,000 ORs in about 500 hospitals uh, across the country. And our third and newest product is inpatient, where we unlock capacity and improve patient flow in inpatient units. Uh, we have about 20,000 beds that we currently optimize. Thank you. And I've watched the growth of Lintas over the years, and it's been brilliant to watch this sort of working to make things work better for systems and, and infusion centers and, and a lot more. We're going to talk today about one of the biggest challenges facing healthcare this lingering workforce shortage and the role that AI-powered technology can play to helping a constrained workforce better operate at the top of their business, the top of their license, to, in a much more efficient, much more efficient way. So, so Mohan, let me get started. We, we know that workforce challenges are top of mind for healthcare leaders, probably nothing more top of mind, both in terms of the rising cost of labor the shortage of clinicians, and the ability to sort of work through throughput to make things actually work efficiently in this challenging time. The AHA's latest numbers show that there's been a 20.8% increase in hospital labor cost. And so just trying to make sure things work relatively efficiently. Uh, we've also seen that, that increase of 21% almost from 2019 to 2022. There's also, I think the latest numbers that we saw are 33% more open nursing roles now than there were three years ago. Uh, and, and we also have at least 100,000 physician shortage, 90 to 100,000 physician shortage. And that number with 330 million people in our nation and only a million 70,000 physicians, that gap is becoming bigger and bigger of the sort of clinicians needed, the providers, the nurses, and the techs, and everybody else to make things work. And, and let me ask you, you work with more than 200 health systems, more than 5,000, 6,000 operating rooms. What are you hearing anecdotally from leaders about whether this is getting worse, better, the same? What, what are you hearing from people that you talk to? Scott, that's a huge issue. Staffing shortages have actually been an issue for quite a while, even before the pandemic. What the pandemic did was high, heighten the severity of the situation. 
and the urgency for health systems to make a concerted effort to get better at optimizing their approach to staffing. And the reason it's important is it affects all type of staff. Provider burnout is a real thing. The EHR was supposed to have helped, but instead providers are spending more time on EHR screens than they are talking with patients. And they have a lot of pajama time, which is their short form for catching up on EHR documentation from home after dinner because they need to do that. Nursing shortage is also real. Hospitals are spending much more money on travelers and on contract nursing than they ever have in the past. So the way this manifests uh, and we see it every day is hospitals operating well below their rated capacity. They're running fewer beds than they are licensed to run, or they are running fewer operating rooms than they've actually built. And so this shortage in capacity then affects everything else. And so it's a real problem and, and pretty significant. No, thank you. And this is what we hear and see as well. So thank you for sharing that vantage point. Wintas has products that help sort of work and, and logistics and drive efficiency and throughput and help people manage their operating rooms, their infusion centers, their inpatient bed, beds better. How do your solutions help staff do their jobs better and reconnect with the joy, the sort of pleasure of actually practicing or taking care of people versus spending so much time in the EMR, so much time on their own screens? How, how does that help? How does this help your work for, the workforce? If you step back and look at it, optimizing patient flow through a health system has two pieces to it. First is optimizing the utilization of the physical asset, whether it's an operating room, an imaging machine, an infusion chair, or an inpatient bed. And then the second piece is optimizing the allocation of staff associated with that asset and patient. So there are two distinct pieces to it. Now, the core concept underlying all of our products is the continuous balance of supply and demand using sophisticated math and AI. In manufacturing, if there's an imbalance between supply and demand, you can easily offset it by just changing the inventory level. You either manufacture and put it to inventory or pull it from inventory. Healthcare has to balance it continuously. If they don't, because you cannot inventory anything. And if you don't balance it, either a patient waits, which we see all too often, or a provider waits, which obviously is frustrating to them, or an expensive asset just sits idle. We've all seen $5 million MRI and CT machines sitting around with no patient in them. So what our solutions do is first predict the volume and the type of demand with a stunning level of accuracy. You have to predict that at a granular level, highly accurate. Then you have to understand the supply side, what the constraints are, facilities, staff, equipment, rooms, et cetera. And then you figure out the optimal allocation between supply and demand to keep patients moving through the system. When we look at most staffing systems that are out there, they've essentially grown up over the last 20 years being time and attendance systems. That's what they were. So they kept track of who worked in which unit, how many hours they worked, was it overtime, was it bonus, double time, et cetera, and how they should get paid. This has nothing to do with optimization. This is a administrative payroll kind of a function. And so what we find is when you do the optimization the way we are talking about, you can then construct shift schedules and rosters to meet the demand. And then you start making intelligent recommendations. Now, if you think about what burns people out and what, what causes frustration, frontline staff every day 
are highly skilled people doing menial tasks. They're pulling numbers, they're sending text messages, they're leaving voicemails, they're chasing people. All of this could have been automated. And so we help, we believe that if we help staff anticipate what's coming through prediction, reduce their cognitive overload by making intelligent recommendations so they don't have to think as hard, uh, and then you automate the routine tasks, you will free up their mind space, which then they can go back to doing what they love, which is taking care of patients. And so that is what we believe is the core. So, so the, in the ideal situation, a, a much, much greater fit of supply and demand and, and a lot of taking the logistics, at least the, the out of the, the paper logistics, the guessing logistics and so forth, so that nurses, physicians, clinicians can spend more time just taking care of patients versus worrying so much about his black time being used as and not being used as a person showing up and not showing up, how are we turning over operating rooms and, and, and everything else. Talk to us now about how AI is going to sort of help to revolutionize this. I mean, there, there's lots of concerns from people. Is AI going to take away jobs? Is it going to replace human jobs or, 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 or get get rid of roles? I mean, we've seen some of this automation in some places where, you know, you go to your bank and there used to be a teller and now it's an ATM. And of course, we've all grown to love that. But people are still concerned about, is this going to hurt jobs and is this going to take away jobs? How do you get buy-in from overburdened frontline staff to, to, to try and implement some of this technology when some technology that they work with creates more harm than help? You talked about the EMR. Obviously, we're not living without the EMRs. EMRs have been extremely helpful, but they have added a level of burden that people didn't expect. And exactly, you talked about people coming home. You talked about pajama time, people being at home, working those things. What mindset shift has to occur for staff to buy into to feel like AI is helping versus adding more burdens or taking away jobs? How do you sort of get positive clinician buy-in to new technology and AI-driven technology? The first thing is it's important to be realistic and not over-promise what AI can do for the front line. The way we think about it is it's augmented intelligence. It's not artificial intelligence that replaces the human being. It just gives them a set of recommendations that are intelligent and that they can think about and perhaps consider making. So in our view, the frontline has, has the final mile of decision-making. So we prescribe intelligent recommendations, but we expect that the frontline has got clinical context, patient context, provider context, that they should make the final override or go, no go decision on it. The black box should not make the decision for them. So the way we think about it is, imagine the navigation system in your car. It's constantly suggesting an intelligent route to get to your destination faster. But you as the driver can always override it based on your unique knowledge. If it's late at night on the freeway in a not so great part of town, and it tells you, hey, get off the freeway and you can save five minutes, you might say, yeah, no, I don't want to get off the freeway, right? So you've applied the last minute judgment that overrides it. What does the navigation system do? It reacts to that and says, fine. And it suggests the next best route. And you can constantly override it until you think it's got a good idea uh, and you follow it. So what happens over time is the front line gains confidence that the recommendations are actually intelligent. And they start relying on it more and more. And it starts to feel natural, just like we all do with Netflix recommendations. When it recommends movies to us, it turns out it's pretty accurate. Or Amazon recommends things for us to buy. 
or our navigation systems, as I said, right? So the same clinicians and providers who are unwilling to accept an AI recommendation at the end of the day, get into the, their cars and drive home and happily accept all the navigation system recommendations. And so we just have to uh, make sure we do that. The other thing we have to do is not pretend to have expertise we don't have. So when we make operational recommendations, we don't try and make clinical recommendations where we are trying to outdock the docs, where we pretend to have clinical judgment that exceeds theirs because we don't. So we are very clear that we've got operational expertise. We'll make excellent operational recommendations and leave the clinical judgment to the people who know best. Thank you. It's a, it's a fascinating and brilliant perspective as to how to look at this and compare it to the sort of navigation system, Netflix suggestions, the Amazon suggestions. Right. We get the, the choices and ideas and then we decide, are we doing this or we're not doing that? Exactly. And I think exactly. that's a brilliant way to look at it. And all those things, as you know, have gotten so good at making those suggestions so they're easy to make a choice. I'm going to continue on my route. Or I'm going to take the suggestion, but there's not so much internal fighting over trying to figure out what am I doing? We sort of react to it very naturally. From other applications, previous AI and analytics implementation on what, you know, in, in regarding what have you learned or what have we all learned in healthcare from previous efforts in AI and analytics implementations in healthcare Regarding things like stakeholder engagement, how how much will the stakeholder actually use it? We all we all are familiar with. You guys have done this brilliant job of making software and 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 wing toss on the system that people actually use. But we're all familiar with lots of systems people have bought and they get used by one percent of the workforce, or you only use you know ten percent of the applicability and so forth. What have we learned about stakeholder engagement, culture, and change management that can be applied now to health systems to make them better users of AI and better users of systems? I think the first thing is that senior leadership has to buy in into one simple fact. The operational complexity of healthcare has gone up by 10x or 100x in the last 10 or 15 years. But the operational practices have not kept up with that growth of complexity. They still pull dashboards from EHRs. They manually do the best they can. This is just not going to be good enough on a go-forward basis. So senior leadership has to accept that concept. Then they have to be committed to exploring the art of the possible, to just start to understand the level of sophistication that's inside things we take for granted, yield management in airlines, how they fill planes, or other com operationally complex environments, and how it might be applied to healthcare. Could you just step back for a moment and imagine what would happen if airlines assigned seats to passengers the way health systems assign appointments to patients, right? Or if airlines allocated pilots and aircraft to routes, the way health systems assign ORs to surgeons or service lines, that would just, it would just be permanently gridlocked. And we can see what happens. Once in a while, there's a big storm or a software outage that throws airline operations out of whack for two days. And it's the news, it's everywhere. The reality is health systems are operating in that state pretty much every day. They're at the edge of capacity uh, and they're making operational decisions manually. So they are almost operating in that manner every day. So the first thing is you need change, the senior leadership to buy into the complexity and it takes different tools and then the mindset to explore the art of the possible. Second is everybody talks about change management and it's very important. But here's the interesting thing the front line wants to do the right thing. 
They want to take care of patients. They want to do it in a safe and effective manner. So you don't have to fight the front line to do something they don't want to do. That's when change management, and you're trying to persuade someone to do something they don't want to do. They want to do this. They just need better tools to do it. So if you can persuade them that what we are providing is easy, it's intuitive, and they can do the right thing all the time, it soon becomes in their enlightened self-interest to use the tools. You're now not trying to fool them or persuade them or cajole them or threaten them to use it. They just find it's easier to do the right thing quickly all the time. Think about it. Nobody from Uber came to my house to apply change management psychology to me to convince me to start using the Uber app. It is just the, simply the best way to go from point A to point B at short notice. I therefore use it. There was no Uber change management uh, school that they had to run for me. So that's what we aspire to do with our tools, make it easy and intuitive to do the right thing all the time. No, and it's, and it's so critical, that ease of usability, so people can, can start to plug in and use it without feeling like there's an incredible learning curve or incredible challenges to it, to, to, to making it useful and not having to go through an incredible amount of change management, but actually easy to use. You start to adopt it, you start to use it, and, and you love it, and it makes sense to do the right thing. I, I love that perspective. One of the things that's being talked about right now, just to, to take it to one further diving into the workforce issue on this, is there's a tremendous amount of clinician burnout. You know, different articles talk about, there's a, a recent article, Journal of General Internal Medicine report that shows 50% of all healthcare professionals are, are burnt out some way or another, or, or at least facing burnout. How can technology positively impact staff burnout versus being another burden on top of, of people or just sort of operationally, but aside from sort of improving operational metrics, helping us deal with supply and demand, how can it actually help sort of clinician burnout and, and positively impact the human situation? Let's think about all the things that cause stress. Operating at the edge of capacity every single day is exhausting. Imagine if you had to drive and rush our traffic nonstop for eight to 10 hours every single day, right? We get away with rush hour traffic because an hour in each direction and we call it a day. But they, the frontline staff is living in rush hour conditions where everything is a crisis and everything comes at them. So that's one source of uh, exhaustion that comes in. Spending a large chunk of your day doing routine mundane tasks that are way beyond your skilled license level is frustrating. And yet we force our frontline to do a lot of mundane things. And here they are highly qualified nurses and caregivers, and we're forcing them to pull data from spreadsheets and cut and paste into things. Having the staff feel overwhelmed all the time, where they're reacting to issues one at a time, somehow getting through it, only to have the next issue and the next issue and the next issue, come at, come at them like a tsunami. They somehow power through it, get through the day, and then like Groundhog Day, it'll happen again tomorrow. That is stressful. Imagine if they could anticipate the issues, prepare for it in advance, and not have to deal with it. Right? Just think about going through life. If everything was a surprise to you, life would be a lot more stressful than if you could plan what's happening today, tomorrow, next week, next month. And then finally, they are forced to make decisions that are not just minor decisions. They impact a patient's health, maybe their life, and they don't have all the information at their fingertips. They don't have access to everything they need. And that creates anxiety that I, am I sure I'm doing the right thing? 
And, and so we've got many things that create the perfect storm from the manual tasks to the being overwhelmed to you know not having all the information at your fingertips that causes the the stress and we think that our approach to it can I, I, you know can solve many of the problems obviously we can't solve every problem in front of them but we can do a lot to allevi- alleviate the stress and the burnout but but your point on this concept of living in a relatively constant fire trail and it's not always the case but it's but it's a lot the case Reminds you of where, when travel goes wrong and how stressed out the staff is because travel has gone wrong. They're dealing with every single person trying to change and figure out what flight to get on. And they don't necessarily have all the logistics to do it well. Is the, is the situation you're talking about, that stress level is very constant in, in large health systems. And so your point exactly. on how can we make that more planned, more, more systematic, a, a little bit less stress, a little bit less fire drills goes a long way for terms of making just the environment easier to work in. No, you're exactly right, Scott. They, they call it, uh, airlines call it IROP, irregular operations. So when uh, there's a storm in Chicago and 2,000 people have missed their connecting flights and you need to rebook them, there's a whole different method that comes into play where the airline is in IROP mode, where they're in irregular operations. And their goal is to get out of IROP into regular operations as quickly as they can. And your point's exactly right. Health systems are often operating always in IROP mode. And that's what... Uh, is stressful. That sounds exactly right. You and a colleague co-authored the book on hospital operations, a a brilliant book on better healthcare through math is I think the title, if I've got that right. Is is that right? That's right. In in, in the year ahead, what do you anticipate will be the biggest, the single biggest challenge that that hospital executive teams and leadership teams face and, and how can leaders stay ahead of that now? What, what are the biggest challenges or the biggest challenges that operations are going to face? Yeah, so staying on the operational side, because obviously clinical, there's a whole bunch of things and we're not expert in the clinical. But if I think about the single biggest challenge from an operational perspective for health system leaders is to do more with the existing assets and the existing staff that are already in place now, right? In the past, health systems could simply build their way out of operational problems. When they ran into operational problems, they constructed more hospitals, put in more ORs, put in more inpatient units, built ambulatory facilities, they kept building. Now they're under enormous pressure from many directions. Demand is going up, we've got an aging population, more chronic illnesses, reimbursement levels are down. Input costs, particularly labor, are rising like crazy. So that uh, that makes it particularly hard. And The result of all of these forces is the financial performance of most health systems has deteriorated, right? Now, therefore, they have to do more with less. If you look at asset utilization, broadly measured in healthcare, it lags every other asset-intensive service business by a lot. Now, some of it's not controllable. Other service businesses can operate 24 hours around the clock. Healthcare essentially is at best a 12-hour operation. It's a 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. kind of operation. So by definition, if you're perfect, you can be 50% utilized. So that's uh, a starting point that's that's difficult, but they can do much better. And if you looked at what is the value at stake, there are 5,000 hospitals in this country. On average, they have three or $400 million in assets, not counting real estate. So an OR is 10 or $15 million. An imaging machine is 3 or $4 million. Inpatient units are expensive. 3 or $400 million per hospital across 5,000 hospitals is $2 trillion of assets. If you unlock 10 points of productivity 
you can pump $200 billion of value per year into this country's healthcare system, right? That means it's 30 or 40 million per hospital, which is straight bottom line effects. And if you did that, it's a boost to the bottom line, but more importantly, it has the ability to serve patients more effectively, more access, better service, faster throughput, less wait time. And so the value at stake is enormous. And that's kind of our sole focus on what we're trying to deliver to our customers every day. No, thank you for that. I mean, uh, unlocking that value in those assets that are already there versus building more assets, you know, and, and, and tying it back to the patient and to the workforce, the, this critical concept of reducing burnout by making life and work a little bit more manageable, but by having better predictability, better analytics, better recommendations on how to how to manage operations or or, or better tools is so so important. Mohan, as always, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to visit with you. To me, I always learn a lot when I speak to you and your leadership about sort of hospital operations and, and how. You know, the supply, demand, the logistics can be better managed and, and how you're doing that at 5,000 plus operating rooms, hundreds and hundreds of infusion centers and, and a lot more. But thank you for joining us on this discussion, sort of AI in the workforce, empowering staff and systems to thrive. So, so important to, to make things more predictable, getting out of what you call this IROP concept, this irregular operations concept of a constant fire drill, which causes so much, so much stress and so much burnout. Moan, thank you very much for, for visiting. Thank you. Todd, great to chat with you as always. Thank you. Well, thanks again to our listeners for tuning in today. I'd also like to thank Lean Toss for sponsoring this episode. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckerspodcasts.com.